Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for Saturday, January 28th and Sunday, January 29th, 2023. Uh, there's a few anniversaries. Uh, the On January 24th, 1944, the Soviet Red Army ended the 872-day siege of Leningrad by driving off the last German forces that were still remaining in the vicinity of that city. Uh, whether you go by the highest estimates, which put the death toll north of 5 million, uh, or the lowest, which put it around 1.2 million or somewhere in between. Leningrad was one of the longest and deadliest military encounters in recorded history. Soviet casualties alone have been estimated at greater than the combined U.S. and U.K. casualties suffered during all of World War II. Uh, in Janu on January 27, 1973, the United States, North Vietnam, South Vietnam, and the South Vietnamese Provisional Revolutionary Government all signed the Paris Peace Accords, which marked the end of the Vietnam War. The, the deal called for the withdrawal of U.S. forces from Vietnam and the imposition of a ceasefire, plus the withdrawal of all foreign forces from Laos and Cambodia. Uh, the ceasefire failed almost immediately. The U.S. was in no position to do anything uh, to stop the eventual fall of South Vietnam in 1975. Uh, on January 28th, 1077, Holy Roman Emperor Henry IV uh, made his humiliating journey to the castle of Canossa to beg forgiveness from Pope Gregory VII. Uh, it ended uh, on this date when the Pope agreed to grant him an audience. Henry's penitence was a highlight of the investiture controversy during which the po Emperor and the Pope got crosswise over the issue of which of them should have the final say over the appointment of bishops in imperial cities. Uh, long story short, Gregory excommunicated Henry, who then trekked to the Pope's winter residence uh, to beg forgiveness. Gregory excommunicated uh, Henry again uh, in 1080, prompting the emperor to invade Italy this time, not not on foot and not uh, wearing a hair shirt or seeking penance, uh, penitence, uh, prompting the uh, emperor to invade Italy and put his own pope, uh, we, we would call him an anti-pope uh, at this point, uh, in, uh, in, in power. The investiture controversy would not be resolved until the famous Concordat of Worms in 1122, which affirmed the church's right to choose its own officials, but did allow imperial authorities to have some influence on that process. Uh, and on January 29th, 1258, the army of Dai Viet uh, under the Tron dynasty defeated the Mongols at the Battle of Dongbu Dao. Uh, their defeat was so severe that the Mongols were forced to withdraw from Dai, Dai Viet, uh, marking the end of their first attempt at conquering the region. The Mongols made two more attempts in the 1280s. Uh, both of them failed, and then the Tron rulers, I think, wisely decided to just make themselves vassals of the Mongols uh, and pay tribute in order to spare themselves any further invasions. Uh, moving on to the news in the Middle East, in Syria, a drone strike targeted a convoy of trucks that had crossed into eastern Syria from Iraq late Saturday. Uh, this is a developing story as I write this, and there's no indication as to how many casualties the strike caused. It did cause casualties, though, uh, or to the nature of the convoy, uh, nor is there much indication as to responsibility. It sounds like the drones attacked from Iraqi airspace, which, if true, would indicate U.S. involvement. But Israel has also attacked targets in eastern Syria in the past, and given other events that have transpired this weekend, which we'll talk about in a moment, uh, it may be uh, premature to rule them out at this point. 
in Turkey, U.S. Undersecretary of the Treasury for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence. I love uh, who, whoever thinks up these titles. Uh, Brian Nelson is heading to Oman, the UAE, and Turkey next week, apparently to warn all concerned about the risks of running afoul of U.S. sanctions. The choice of countries here suggests that he's mostly going to be talking about sanctions against Iran, although, uh, according to Reuters, it sounds like the Biden administration is more concerned about Russian sanctions and evasion at present, which makes a certain amount of sense. Uh, In that case, Nelson may focus most of his attention on the Turkish government and Turkish businesses, which have already received, apparently, a number of warnings from the U.S. with respect to Russian sanctions. Uh, In Israel-Palestine, Israeli settlers have gone on a rampage in occupied East Jerusalem and the West Bank this weekend following Friday night shooting at a synagogue in in the East Jerusalem settlement of Neve Yaakov. Uh, At least one Palestinian has been killed, uh, a man shot near the Kedumim settlement uh, late Saturday in the northern West Bank, who was allegedly carrying a gun. Uh, And there have been reports of at least 144 incidents of settler violence of varying degrees of severity. A Palestinian attacker, meanwhile, uh, shot and wounded two Israelis near a settlement in East Jerusalem on Saturday. Uh, Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade, uh, which is tied to the Palestinian Authority's ruling uh, Fatah party, uh, has claimed responsibility for Friday's synagogue attack. Uh, Enabling more settler violence appears to be part of the Israeli government's retaliation for the Friday shooting. Uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu announced a package of responses on Saturday, uh, including expedited gun licenses for Israeli citizens and expedited demolitions of suspected Palestinian militants' homes, or in other words, collective punishment. Uh, Bearing in mind that at least 32 Palestinians have already been killed in East Jerusalem and the West Bank so far this year, the stage appears to be set for an especially violent 2023 uh, with Netanyahu's hand on the wheel. Uh, In Iran, Reuters, citing the always prescient anonymous U.S. official, is reporting that Israel was probably responsible for a drone attack. Uh, This is what I was alluding to earlier. The targeted an Iranian military industrial facility in Isfahan overnight. The U.S. government has denied any involvement. Uh, Details in the incident are spotty. What is available has been filtered through the Iranian government, but they're claiming that their defenses mostly thwarted the attack and that the facility only suffered minor damage. I think it's probably safe to assume that the damage was heavier than the Iranians are willing to admit, but there do not seem to have been any casualties. Uh, Quadcopters were uh, apparently used in the attack. They have a relatively short range. Uh, So if this attack was carried out by the Israelis, they must have had personnel inside Iran uh, on the the remote control or, or, uh, you know, whatever they were using. Uh, It's unclear what exactly this facility was, though satellite imagery apparently suggests it was linked with the Iran Space Research Center. That would mean something to do with missile development. The Israeli government has unsurprisingly kept mum about this incident. Uh, That's, uh, of course, not likely to allay suspicion. Uh, and an Iranian response of some kind may be forthcoming. Elsewhere, an oil facility in Tabriz also caught fire overnight, but that appears to have been accidental. I say appears to have been, who knows at this point. Uh, And additionally, the Azerbaijani government was preparing to evacuate, I assume it has or it will have by the time you uh, listen to this, uh, was preparing to evacuate its diplomatic staff and their families from Iran on Sunday. Uh, This is two days after a shooting at the Azerbaijani embassy in Tehran. We covered this in Friday's newsletter in which a security guard was killed. 
Iranian authorities are insisting that the gunman had a personal motive. They've produced a suspect who claims that he attacked the facility because he believed his Azeri wife was being held captive inside. Uh, but Azerbaijani officials have suggested the attack was motivated by anti-Azeri sentiment uh, and that it was enabled by lax Iranian attention to embassy security, uh, hence the evacuation. Moving on to Asia and Afghanistan, the Afghan government has reportedly sent a reminder to private universities in the country that women are not permitted to take university entrance exams. I'm not sure why Taliban leaders thought the reminder was necessary, but it may have had something to do or may have something to do with the recent international attention that has been focused on women's rights under Taliban rule. Maybe this was less a reminder to those universities and more of a statement to organizations like the United Nations, let's say, or uh, relief NGOs. Uh, in China, according to the Wall Street Journal, one of China's largest nuclear research institutes has been sidestepping U.S. export controls with some regularity. Uh, I'll just read you the opening paragraph here. A Wall Street Journal review of procurement documents found that the state-run China Academy of Engineering Physics has managed to obtain the semiconductors made by U.S. companies such as Intel and NVIDIA since 2020, despite its placement on a U.S. export blacklist in 1997. Uh, this is interesting. I think this is relevant because the Biden administration has been embracing export controls as a way to weaken China's tech sector, particularly in the area of semiconductor chips, uh, is trying to block any uh, of that tech that's been uh, that's got any U.S. Uh, input into it uh, from being exported to China by any country or any company around the world, not just uh, from the U.S. Uh, and, and you know, if these things don't work. Uh, then uh, you're probably going to be alienating a lot of people, a lot of companies, a lot of allies that want to do business with China uh, for uh, no real discernible reason. Uh, in South Korea, meanwhile, a South Korean soldier apparently decided to fire off a machine gun during a training exercise near the North Korean border on Saturday for reasons that are not entirely clear. Any danger appears to have been averted as none of the bullets crossed into North Korean territory and there was no response from the North Korean military. The South Koreans also communicated uh, to the North Korean government that the shooting was accidental. On to Africa and Libya. Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney visited Libya over the weekend for a chat with one of that country's prime ministers, the Tripoli-based Abdul Hamid Dibiba, uh, about trans-Mediterranean migration. Uh, as Italy's furthest right prime minister since, well, you know, uh, Maloney's base is obviously expecting her to do something to stop migrants entering the country. Uh, the real tangible outcome of Maloney's visit seems to have been a business deal between Italian energy firm Eni and Libya's national oil company to develop two offshore natural gas fields in Libya uh, with an eye toward boosting Libyan gas exports to Europe. Uh the deal, which could be worth as much as $8 billion, uh, would also give a boost to Libya's domestic energy market by developing those fields. But given that Dabiba's legitimacy is in serious question amid Libya's ongoing political chaos, there is some chance that this deal is not actually going to hold up uh, to scrutiny, at least not maybe in the long run. 
in Tunisia. Officially, turnout in Sunday's parliamentary runoff election was a whopping 11.3%, or in other words, about the same as turnout in last month's first round. Uh, if President Kais Saeed was hoping for a boost in participation to show that the public still supports his whole political project, he didn't get it. But then I'm not sure Saeed really cares about keeping up appearances at this point. He's managed to grant himself nearly unchecked authority, and despite this embarrassment, there's really no clear threat to his one-man rule on the horizon. In Mali, the pro- predominantly Tuareg Coordination of Azawad Movements Alliance announced this week that it is quitting the constitutional process that's supposed to transition Mali from military to civilian rule ahead of a March 2024 election. The CMA formed during the Tuareg uprising in northern Mali that began in 2012 and has not entirely gone away, though the only active fighting now involves Islamist militants. The CMA has also suspended its participation in the northern Mali peace process and cited the Malian junta's, quote, lack of political will, end quote, in the statement it issued this week. The breakdown in relations between the CMA and the junta threatens a substantial widening of Malian unrest at a time when the junta seems to be overmatched just trying to deal with the Islamists. Uh, In Ethiopia, while it was reported earlier this month that Eritrean military forces had begun withdrawing from major towns and cities in Ethiopia's Tigray region, the U.S. government says they're still occupying parts of Tigray. Uh, U.N. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield told reporters during a visit to Kenya on Saturday that Eritrean forces, quote, have moved back to the border and they have been asked to leave, end quote, without going into any additional detail. Ethiopian officials are insisting that there are no military forces present in Tigray other than the Ethiopian military. But the Tigray People's Liberation Front is insisting uh, that thousands of Eritrean soldiers are still present in the region. Uh, If they are still in Tigray, that's going to keep complicating efforts uh, to implement the peace deal that the Ethiopian government and the TPLF reached back in November. Uh, In the Democratic Republic of the Congo, suspected allied Democratic forces militants attacked three villages in the eastern DRC's Ituri province on Sunday, killing at least 15 people in all. That death toll may rise as authorities continue to assess the situation. Elsewhere, Congolese police and Rwandan soldiers reportedly shot at one another in an incident on Lake Kivu on Saturday in which one Congolese police officer was wounded. According to a DRC Navy source, the Congolese police interdicted a group of three boats carrying Rwandan soldiers that had, according to them at least, crossed into the Congolese part of the lake. The situation escalated from there. Tensions between the DRC and Rwanda are high due to the Rwandan military's support, uh, alleged support, I guess, although there seems to be uh, fairly substantial evidence of it, for the M23 militia's ongoing offensive uh, in North Kivu province. In Europe, uh, starting in Ukraine, there was apparently heavy fighting around a village called Blahodatne, sorry if I'm mangling that, in eastern Ukraine's Donetsk Oblast over the weekend. Uh, Wagner Group boss Yevgeny Prigozhin is now claiming that his forces have captured that village. Uh, Ukrainian officials are insisting that the village remains in their control, so it's possible that Wagner has taken part, but not all of it. Uh, It may take more in the coming days. Uh, Meanwhile, the Ukrainian government expanded its sanctions list over the weekend to incorporate another 182 Russian and Belarusian companies and three officials. All will have any Ukrainian assets frozen and properties seized. Uh, in Czechia, as expected, retired Czech military general Petr, uh, Petr, Peter Pavel 
or Petr Pavel, I guess, uh, won the Czech presidential runoff by a comfortable margin uh, over former Prime Minister Andrej Babish. Uh, Pavel took just over 58% of the vote amid record high turnout of around 70%. Czech presidents are not especially powerful, but they do have some uh, authority, especially in terms of foreign policy. Pavel's election may shift Czech foreign policy in a more overtly pro-West or or pro-Ukraine under the circumstances direction. Uh, In Portugal, an estimated 80,000 people marched in Lisbon on Saturday to demand higher wages and better working conditions for teachers and other public school employees. Teachers say they are the worst paid civil servants in Portugal and their salaries have not risen in line with inflation, particularly not during the recent inflation spike. They're one of a number of professional groups who have taken to the streets in dissatisfaction over Prime Minister Antonio Costa's response to that spike. Uh, In the Americas, in Peru, one protester died in Lima on Sunday, presumably from injuries afflicted by Peruvian police. He was the first protester killed in Lima and the 58th killed overall since demonstrations began following the ouster and arrest of former Peruvian President Pedro Castillo last month. Daily demonstrations have been ongoing in the capital for over a week now and are continuing to roil much of southern Peru as well. The Peruvian Congress on Saturday voted to reject interim President Dina Boluarte's plan to defuse the unrest by advancing Peru's next general election from 2026 to December of this year. Congress has already voted once to move the election forward to April 2024, but that plan has not yet been finalized. Uh, And finally, uh, in the the United States, a little news for for those of you who like business deals. Uh, While it's clear that defense contractors, U.S. defense contractors, are winning the Ukraine war, uh, over at Jacobin, Branko Marchetich says that they are not alone uh, in their victory. Uh, I'll read you the first couple paragraphs of his piece here. As unbelievable as it might sound, the invasion under which millions of Ukrainians are suffering right now will likely not be the end of their hardship. That's because of the hand-rubbing that's been happening the past few months over the potential business bonanza to be found in the country's post-war reconstruction. In November last year, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky signed a memorandum of understanding with BlackRock uh, that will see the firm's Financial Markets Advisory, a special consulting unit set up after the 2008 crash to work with crisis-stricken governments, advise Ukraine's economic ministry on designing a roadmap for rebuilding the war-torn country. In BlackRock's words, the agreement has the, quote, goal of creating opportunities for both public and private investors to participate in the future reconstruction and recovery of the Ukrainian economy, end quote. Ukrainian officials have been more blunt with the ministry's press release, saying it would, quote, primarily attract private capital, end quote. The agreement formalizes a set of September 2022 talks between Zelensky and BlackRock chair and CEO Larry Fink, love that name, uh, in which the president stressed that Ukraine must, quote, be an attractive country for investors and that it was, quote, important to me that a structure like this be successful for all parties involved. I got to wet my beak. You know, I got to wet my beak. Uh, just, just need a taste. Uh, according to a release from the president's office, BlackRock had already been advising the Ukrainian government, quote, for several months, by, end quote, by the end of 2022. The two had agreed to focus on, quote, coordinating the efforts of all potential investors and participants, end quote, in Ukrainian reconstruction and, quote, channeling investment into the most relevant and impactful sectors of the Ukrainian economy, end quote. So basically, if you are a Ukrainian, uh, as soon as this war is over, grab your wallet because you're about to 
to get ripped off. Uh, that's the bottom line here. Uh, there's going to be another wonderful uh, shock doctrine uh, that's brewing, I think, for, for the Ukrainian economy. It's going to be uh, fantastic for everybody concerned, at least for the people who uh, make out uh, with money. Uh, on that note, uh, as always, I want to thank you for reading and or listening to this newsletter. Thanks to those of you who are subscribers to foreign exchanges, especially those of you who have made the big jump to become paid subscribers. And I hope that some of you who have not yet done that uh, will consider it because it really is essential to to making sure this newsletter survives. Uh, Until next time, take care and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.